If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas, and I'm excited that you're here. And with that, we're going to jump into this week's podcast here in just a second. We're going to hit up our sponsors that help make the show possible. There's lots of companies that I believe in that I think help veterans across the board, whether it's find a job, hire talent, become more efficient in their practice, all those things, right? So these sponsors mean a ton to me. So I know a lot of people will fast forward or skip through them. But if and when you're looking for help and some of the solutions they offer, I would highly, highly encourage you to check them out. And so with that, no further ado, jump into the ads and we'll get right into the show. So thank you for listening and uh, enjoy. We all know as a practice owner, one of the last things you want to think about is tax planning and strategizing for your practice. In addition, the long list of tasks on your radar, it's really hard to do everything. You have to find a trustworthy team of experts that understands unique and specific needs within veterinary medicine. My suggestion would be my friends at Granite Peak Associates. Granite Peak is an advanced tax planning and veterinary practice advisory firm who has spent many years working within VetMed. Their team works year-round to make sure you're able to maximize your profitability while also minimizing your liabilities. Whether you're in the process of purchasing a practice, looking to grow your practice, or transitioning towards the sale of your practice, they are the experts to help guide you through. What makes them different than other firms is their devotion to proactive tax planning. By thinking into the future and creating long-lasting relationships with their clients, Granite Peak can help minimize the amount of taxes paid over the course of many years to come. Head over to their website, granitepeakcpa.com, to receive a personalized comparison of your practice financials against over 140 other hospitals that they've worked with. You'll be able to see how your practice ranks, where you stack up, and where the opportunities are to get better. From there, you can schedule a one-on-one call with one of the members of their team to review and analyze your results. The opportunity speaks for itself. You need someone on your side. Granite Peak Associates is that team. Take advantage of their innovative expertise within the veterinary industry. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with Offer First. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 170. 
nine with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay. So link in the show notes is going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. They're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepherd is an intuitive, easy to learn, streamlines practice management. Built for vets, by vets, it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important, your patients. Shepherd automatically updates the medical records, adds services to the invoice, generates discharge instructions, and so much more. Bring home more stories and less stress. Check them out at shepherd.vet. Again, that's shepherd.vet. All right. Today on the show, I'm joined by a marketing guru, Brandon Brashears. Brandon helps veterinary practice grow through getting better clients. He's a voice of a podcast called The Veterinary Marketing Podcast, written a ton on the topic of marketing. He's an author. He's also been highly recommended and suggested as a guest that I need to get on the show. And so I'm finally glad that we're getting the ability to record. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you so much. It's great to talk with you. I mentioned I, I love your podcast. It's fantastic. So I'm very honored to be on it. Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad I am. I'm still a little congested, but my voice is coming back. But the good thing is I'm not going to talk nearly as much as you are. So I can kind of cough or, or take a drink. I'll, I'll be good. But you've been putting out a ton of content. You have a really great podcast. It's very niche. And then it's even deeper into a very specific topic. And that is one that I really like. One thing that you did recently, and I had a couple of people ping me like, hey, are you going to do this with your podcast? I wanted to get a little bit of feedback from you, but you did this vet marketing guru. And it's like a chat GPT based piece. And I think it's amazing. And again, like I said, I had multiple people like send me LinkedIn DMs like, have you seen this? It looks really cool. Talk a little bit about it. What's been the reception and what kind of went into developing that? Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar, GPTs are similar to kind of like apps in the app store when iPhones came out, right? And you had this really cool thing that you could use, but you didn't necessarily have all of the application and uses that you want to use. And so really easy way to think about this is that a GPT is a very specific use case for ChatGPT. And ChatGPT is a great tool, but to get good output, you have to really coach it and tell it what you're looking for, get specific with um, all of the inputs. And so having a GPT that's veterinary specific, I thought would be really helpful. And so I uploaded all of my content to train it because I have hundreds of episodes of my podcast. And so I just was curious if we could get some really high quality, consistent output without too much input work. And so I think it actually is working really well. It's a GPT that's just focused on veterinary practice marketing. 
And I continuously am training it to ask questions to make the prompts more specific so that it's not just generic, like unleash the power of your veterinary practice. I think unleash or similar words are notoriously chat GPT, but it helps to go through your website, build content and marketing messaging that's in the voice of the content on your site, or you can give it examples of things and it will really put out some high quality ideas that'll help you to get better clients or fill the schedule. I think it's really effective and it doesn't take a lot of coaching to get high quality responses. And so, so far it's been great. It's been pretty amazed at how many people are using it. It doesn't show exact numbers, but lots of people are using it. And one of the cool things about this too is that you can easily build one for your own practice as well. But the thing that I like is I ask it questions about once a week and say, what what kind of things should we add or refine based on the types of prompts that you're getting? And then it will work through and improve. Yeah. How many episodes have you done in your podcast? I know it's a lot, hundreds that you mentioned. Do you so, know? Yeah, I have full length episodes and then I have in between. And so just total episodes, I think is 380 or so, somewhere in there. But um 270 full-length episodes. Love it. And you've had some really incredible guests. If there was someone that you can think of in kind of the marketing world, that maybe you had a chance to bring on the show that you, you would want to, any name that comes to mind and maybe why? Gary, I would like Gary Vaynerchuk just because I followed him for a long time. He's a really hard guest to get. And so him or Alex Hermosi, both of those guys. Alex Hermosi is a guy who published a book called $100 Million Offers and $100 Million Leads. And I think those are probably both the best marketing books that are out there. He's just incredibly talented when it comes to direct response digital marketing. But Gary Vaynerchuk, because he's got so many good insights, he's really good at calling where things are going. And I think he's more so a, a student of just human behavior and psychology so that he understands how people engage with products and how social platforms will be effective. But those two guys would be amazing to have on. I have a, yeah, definitely. I had Seth Godin on the podcast and that was like, number one, number one. I was so happy to get him uh, on the podcast, but those two guys would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. And yeah, familiar with both. Gary V is always one of those episodes you got to mark with an E and write like, hey, don't have your kids in the car. He's going to be great. But like, he's going to have some colorful language throughout um, just because the way he is, right? But yeah, I feel like I used to consume more of his content historically and then had kind of it, like it just wanes is like there was a period of time where I was like really interested in it's like, okay, I'm going to go learn something else for a while. But he does have some really interesting takes on basically like how social networks work, how people are kind of wired, and then what do you think will be the next thing? And he's been really good at kind of having some predictions and or some foresight on where you should spend your time and energy and dollars as well. So love those. I totally agree. Yeah. I think his concepts and overview is really helpful, but once you get it, it's kind of all the same message. And so it's always cool to revisit and see what he thinks when new stuff's coming out, especially like AI stuff. And it's been interesting to see his take on that kind of thing. For sure. So you've done a ton of episodes. I've done a lot, not as many as you, but I've noticed there's times where you'll do a podcast and you're like, this topic was incredible. This guest was amazing. There's so many good nuggets. And then you'll be like, huh, it didn't get downloaded maybe as much as I thought. And then there'll be another episode. You're like, hey, that was really good. And it blows up or pops off a lot more. Is there a topic that you feel like was incredibly interesting to you that maybe didn't see the love from listeners that you would suggest? And maybe why do you think it was so good or so interesting? 
So I can think of two guests recently that I had, one whose name was Luria Petrucci. She does live video, and she's an expert in helping to create really high-quality live video studios and productions. And I just think that that episode, there's so much value in creating live content, and she's just really, really talented, but she's not super well-known. But, I mean, she does, I mean, every major, I mean, like Tony Robbins and... Dean Graziosi and huge name content creators use her and coach and consult with her. And so she's really, really an expert, but she just is always kind of behind the scenes. So most people don't know sure. about her. Yeah. She was really insightful. And then also Dennis Yu, who is a guy that was an early engineer for the Yahoo and just, just been in marketing. He helped to launch the Frappuccino was marketing effort that he had. He just had so much insight also. And um, so that was also a fantastic episode that's just full of great practical nuggets. So those two things. But topically, I think that people, I would say the most kind of underused marketing strategies that I talk about a lot, and I think a lot of people talk about them, but they just don't get used because it takes work, is probably doing retention marketing and managing your own list. So list building and then marketing to the people who already know, like, and trust you and have already paid you. And those people in your veterinary practice that are the biggest missed opportunities, I think, almost universally in, in veterinary medicine. You want to expand a little bit on that? Because I think it's actually really interesting. And you had made a comment or I saw it somewhere. I think it was you talking about how people are starting to come back to, oh yeah, it was before we recorded. You're talking about people are starting to say, hey, practice starting to slow down for the first time in a while. I'm, I'm thinking about marketing again because I was so busy and marketing wasn't a thing and we just were slammed. So who cares? We'll kind of pull back on any marketing stuff. But that idea of, kind of going back for retention marketing. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen, what's been successful, how to do it? And just, yeah, let's chat through that a little bit. Definitely. So I know every practice has a list. Every practice has typically some type of way to communicate with them through either their practice management software or through third-party software like MailChimp at the minimum on up from complexity there. And almost nobody, I would say probably... 85 to 87% of practices do not ever send messages to their database, marketing messages anyways, and definitely not content. So you have this really engaged list of people that you have tons of data on. And so you're just letting this sit to the wayside without any kind of production. And when things do get slow, all of a sudden you're trying to figure out what to do. And then you'll be like, well, we should send out an email or we should send out a text message. And at that time, you haven't tested what messages work. You haven't understood how people are going to be converting in ways that work really well. And then you're also just showing up kind of asking for stuff. And so you're kind of like the friend who only calls when you need to borrow a truck and it's time to move, right? And you're like, oh, I, this is not going to be good. And should I pick up the phone type of thing? And so I think you have to try to do marketing and marketing in general, whether it's client acquisition strategies, doing social with client acquisition or retention and re-engagement, but really before you need it so that you can practice and get good at it so that when you do have a week that doesn't have your schedule filled, you know kind of what levers to pull, what calls to action work. Should you segment the list? How frequently should you send things to them? All of these things that you should be testing really before you need it. And I think that's probably the biggest mistake that people make is that they just wait till they need it. And by that time, it's slow. And so I totally understand that when you're busy and you're overwhelmed, you don't want to be doing 
these types of things. But I think that when you're busy, it's really the best time to focus on high level marketing. That's maybe you're targeting procedures that are more expensive or difficult to convert. And so if you can really get a good grasp on how do we drive more, you know, dental procedures in when we're busy. So we're only going to do high end dental procedures or TPLOs or whatever it is that you want to be doing. If you can convert more of those people, you'll be able to convert, you know, general wellness far more easily. Yep. Do you see from the content or the messaging within that, you talk about testing, testing like, hey, you know, Dr. Brandon's going to record a video talking about this thing that we want to do more of and why it's important and then have have some content or here's a infographic and just sending that stuff out to stay top of mind and relevant for people that aren't there. Is there anything that you've seen more successful? I love video because it allows you to express who you are, build that relationship. So when they come in and see you, it's natural and it's easier. And especially if you're more than one doctor, it would be great to then have other faces so that especially if you're the owner, but you have some associates, it's not always you, right? Hey, Brandon, I want to from you. It's like, well, Isaiah's over here, newer, still really great. Maybe you can help fill up his schedule and he can do this procedure. But what have you seen from content? And I know it's going to be, it depends. And that's what's so hard about, I think about like my, my previous role in financial like advising. It's tricky to be like, well, this is always what works, right? It depends. But any kind of bigger rules of thumb or things that you've seen more successful versus eh, that content or that messaging when you reach out to people just hasn't really ever helped that much. So I'd say the, the more that you do of anything, the better you're going to be at it, obviously, right? And so that's number one. If you haven't created content before, you just have to start so that you can understand what works, really get kind of a benchmark for engagement and things. But I think that in general for veterinary practices, everybody tends to go and lean more on the educational side because that's the background of everybody. And so educational is great, but it's typically boring. And so, I mean, the internet's full of information. There's unlimited untapped information out there. And so you're not really providing value just by throwing information at people. And so educating is the word that people like to use, but I think you need to really try to not necessarily convince, but persuade people to the way that you would like them to, whether it's you want to provide a high quality, you know, high standard of care. And so in order to do that, you have to get compliance. And so, you know, giving people more information isn't going to help them to make a decision. You have to help them understand that they have a problem, that you understand their problem and can help fix it. And practicing through content and communication is, I think, really important. And giving people all the information doesn't mean that they're going to make the right decision necessarily or that they even care. And so you want to really try to be persuasive. And again, it's not convincing, but I think especially with content that you want to convert, and I'd say probably most people listening, they'll say, I've created content and it doesn't drive any appointments in. And chances are you're just spouting out more information. So I think that if you can be more effective in providing context in terms of here's why this is so important for you. And this is the types of benefits that you're going to get out of this and then deliver on those benefits in the content. You're going to have a lot better chance at, at getting people to follow your recommendations and take your advice. It leads to, again, something I saw you post on LinkedIn, which is interesting because I've said the exact opposite of this multiple times. I wanted to ask you about it, which is this idea of content is not king. And does it kind of go back to what you just mentioned there where it's the context and just being able to explain why they need these things versus just creating all this educational stuff? Like, hey, I got a bunch of stuff. 
but what's kind of shouting into the void versus being like, create a couple things that are really successful versus more. But just wanted to understand that was my take on it. But I just wanted to ask you about it because I think that's interesting. Yeah, I think it's tough because you have to get to a point where you're good at creating content, right? Well, you don't have to, but it's more effective if you are. And so in order to get there, you have to just produce a lot because it's like learning anything. I think people kind of think it's easy for the most part just because they see other people do it and they don't realize what goes into it. And I don't think I'm an expert content creator. I'm just kind of making what I want to make. So I'm not necessarily the best example of that. I was just like, I'm going to start making it. But it's taken me 10 years of creating content to build an audience. And if I was more effective at creating content, it would have been a lot shorter. And so I just didn't quit on it, which is, I think, important to do. But I think that there's just so much content out there. And especially with AI tools, it's just easier to make and higher quality content. So since there's just more volume, and it's not going to slow down, it's only going to increase dramatically, you have to give some kind of unique perspective. You have to entertain or inform, provide insights. And people want insights. They don't want information. So help them get to the place where they want to be, right? And I think really that's where where veterinarians fall short, especially in their messaging in general, is they just talk about features with their practice and information. And so they'll say things like, you know, we've been open since 1992 and we went to this school and we've been doing this, right? You're talking about all of the things that you've done that really don't make you any different from other practices. And most practices, especially with their websites, you could take all of their content and just copy and paste it onto their competitor site, change the names, and it would just totally work, be exactly the same. And so the context for what do you believe, why do you believe it, and how are you trying to help them, where are you trying to help them get when it, depending on how you're practicing. And I think it's just really important to help people understand where they're going to get by basically following your content, taking your advice, and not just being so generic. And I think that's the major problem is that almost all of the veterinary content that I see is just very generic. And if you could take it and place it on another practices page, it's just not really doing anything for you. And that's probably why it's not converting. You feel like people feel like they... It's hard to be unique because you're going to turn some people off. And if I say what I actually believe on certain things, then then it's going to be difficult for me to attract people. This idea of almost like scarcity versus abundance of if you kind of talk to your folks, they're going to come find you versus I have to, to work with everybody type of thing. I totally agree. If you're looking to perform really in-depth, high-quality care, like there's some practices that I work with that they really want to have a personal relationship and they don't want every single client because they want to spend time. And it's not just like drop them off and we'll see you later. We'll be ready in 30 minutes type of a thing, but they really want to partner with you and make sure that your pet is healthy. And so they really don't want everybody and it's okay to not say, Hey, we're going to create content that is not going to appeal to everybody. I think if you're taking the time to produce something or you're taking the time to create ads and, and target people or, any marketing activity that takes time, which is a limited resource, I think you should be very choosy on who you're trying to attract and try to repel people that would not be a good fit. But I think you'll be far more effective if you try to make something for everybody generally doesn't attract anyone at all. Yep. The world is full of distractions. And so it's hard to stand out. And uh, there's been a couple of guests in the podcast that have talked about that. Like you're competing for all kinds of other non-veterinary related expenses and things. And at the end of the day, like they need to make sure like 
they want to spend money with you and do this because for the average person, if I wasn't in the veterinary space, how would I know if you're good at your job? I don't, right? I'm not going to know. And so giving me more features and info, it's like, uh, okay, well, that's good that you like do this thing. I thought everyone did that thing versus the entertainment side of like, oh, this person seems like a real human that I can have a conversation with. That is helpful. And it's part of the, I had this conversation recently where it's like the folks that are selected for vet school, are we trying to select the best vet students? Are we trying to select the best veterinarians in the future, right? That can go out and provide care and connect with the people that have these pets, right? And there's going to be certain kinds that a veterinarians are going to go in clinical and they'll never practice a day of the traditional model ever. And that's great. And there's going to be certain people that are more academic based, but for the vast majority, they're going to go out and serve in their communities. And it's like, you want to make sure, can they do that? And are they able to have those conversations? So I wanted to ask you on the client acquisition piece, and you talked about social. One thing that I've talked about, and it may seem like that's a really specific, strange question, but I've always thought with a veterinary practice, and I would love your insight because I know you will have a lot more than I will. Next door, what are your thoughts on next door? Because to me, it seems like that's such an interesting channel that fits because it's hyper-localized for a hospital where you could do some really interesting things. Is it worth exploring? Is it a dumpster fire? What are your thoughts? I think you have to have high quality service to really focus on it. If your practice is being mentioned and referred there, I think it would definitely be good to get on there and get get active. And you typically will know because the people who are active on Nextdoor will tell you. I haven't had a tremendous amount of experience in terms of running ads and things there. They don't have a great ad platform um, compared to other networks and things. And so we're not typically running there, but I do know several clients that have had success in maintaining a presence there responding to comments and things like that. The people that are active on there are very active. And so if you have negative things on there, it can easily spread. And so I think it's definitely something to watch, but I don't think I would put too much energy into it just because you're so limited in terms of how many places you can be. But there are way fewer people there. And so if you do have an active community right in your area with on Nextdoor, because there's less competition, it's easier to stand out too. So I think that is one that definitely depends. And when it comes to figuring out what you should be doing, I think just really identifying your goals and then trying to figure out the easiest way to get to them is kind of the right strategy in general, right? I think that probably depends on the area, but I've had, I've heard very good things and bad things because some really active people who love complaining on there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be, I feel like social media in a nutshell too, right? Anywhere in social media, they're going to be people that complain and it can be a really wonderful place to connect, learn all that stuff. But it can also be kind of this hellscape at the same moment where it's like, man, why am I here? This is a time suck and a waste. And I just feel terrible after it. When you think about social though, and paid and kind of that client acquisition, how do you try to break down? Because you're exactly right. There's all these different places. I'm going to have this account and this account and this account and everyone gets really fired up to do it. And then it's like, well, we posted once last October there and now we're going to do one in March. And it's like, well, shoot, why are you even doing it? How do you help folks like distill down? Is it based on an area? Is it based on a specific individual, the competition in the area? How do you help someone think through that? So I think right now, it depends more on what your practice can do consistently and what you have bandwidth for. So if something is better than nothing, in my opinion, for most 
platforms. And so if all you can do is be posting pictures and you have your, your Instagram and your Facebook linked up and you're posting consistently, I think that's definitely better than nothing. I do think that short form video is not going anywhere. And so for most practices, I think that they should get onto a short form video platform of some kind. So if you're starting from scratch, I would probably suggest starting on TikTok, which is going to sound odd to most people because most people who don't use it think it's for just young kids. But TikTok is actually on track to pass meta in terms of ad spend here within the next two years, which is crazy. So the ad platform is getting very cool and very interesting. And there's just tons of really great tools in the addition of TikTok shop where they're getting purchase data in app is giving them tons of targeting options that are very, very cool for ads down the road. And if you, I think, look at the platforms and you kind of see who's winning, and this goes back to following what Gary Vaynerchuk says. And I was talking to his ad buyer, his name's John, did a podcast with him recently. And I think right now, TikTok is kind of winning in terms of user base, growth, retention, time on app and things. And so if we look at that, I think most of the other platforms are trying as much as possible to copy TikTok when it comes to features and engagement and things. And so that being said, I think if you're creating content and it's short form video, and if you can get good at creating short form video, I would probably suggest focusing on one platform and then pushing out to the other platforms. So you make something primarily for TikTok, and then you post it on Facebook and Instagram Reels, and then you also put it on YouTube Shorts. But really try to create probably for one platform that you're going to get good at, and then expand in terms of distribution on the other platforms. And then from there, if you get good enough at TikTok and you feel like it's easy now, maybe you start doing Instagram because Instagram's very different in terms of what will get traction. It's a lot harder to grow there now than it was previously. It's definitely more established. And so from the organic side of things, if you can create content on TikTok, also, I think you're going to do better at creating content that is going to engage with niche audiences rather than your audience, if that makes sense. Because you previously, especially when Facebook and Instagram were popular, the strategy was we're going to create stuff for our followers that they're going to like. But TikTok has changed it so that most of the content that you're consuming is not from creators that you're subscribed to. And the AI algorithms that they have are so good that it keeps you hooked and engaged because they know what you like rather than who you like. And so it's a constant stream of entertainment and interesting And so if you're creating content from a perspective that's, we're going to create content that's for this niche audience, you're going to be far better, I think, at getting a response and driving conversion because you know you're creating content that's like for pug owners about procedures and then all of a sudden you're getting tons of views and comments and engagement there. You're creating content that the audience really likes and you're going to be able to effectively, I think, convert them. Now that was a really long answer. No, it's perfect. Again, I think that's what a podcast format, going back to the joke, like the short form video, the part of the reason why I love podcasts is like you can kind of get into more nuanced answers and sometimes everything is so short and concise. It's like, well, there's nuance there. When you say short form, and I, I am not a TikTok user, I'll be the first one to tell you that. What frame with TikTok when you consider short form, is that 60 to 90 seconds typically? Is it longer? What does that look like? So I think it's anything less than three minutes, probably. I think that's their, they have a three minute limit, 60 second, a 15 second. Now they have a 10 minute limit. So they're trying to get into the longer form content there too. And looking at their fund, 
that they use with creators that are only monetizing the longer videos now, which is interesting. So they're definitely pushing for that longer form there. I'm going to be interested to see if it does capture people's attention and things and how that changes it. Because YouTube definitely has that platform. And I think for the most part, veterinary hospitals, it's not effective to, to really pursue YouTube just because you don't have location targeting at all. But I think that if for most practices, like two minutes and under would be a good short form length. Perfect. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course. That's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they prioritize having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. What do you think is overrated when it comes to veterinary marketing today? Things that everyone seems to talk about, but you're like, you know what? Does it actually bring the results? Is it just more features and info? What's overrated that people need to maybe reflect on? Like, why are you doing that? So this is probably going to be pretty controversial, but I, I think it. online booking platforms are Interesting. highly overrated. Just looking at data across all of the clients that I have, online bookings are less than, let's say, on average, less than 4% of conversions. So they, I think people put a lot of time and effort into it. The thing that I really dislike about online booking platforms is that nobody has conversion tracking built into it. It's basically taking traffic from your site putting it on their site, and then the conversion happens off-site. So you don't have tracking pixel options, which tracking pixels don't work anymore. You don't have UTM source carried over, so you can't tell where the traffic is coming from. You just have this big bucket of conversions, and it's not that much either for online bookings for the most part. And the problem too is that most of them don't integrate with the practice management software very well. And so you have to, you're like, what times would you like? And then you have to confirm it. And just is really not effective. So it's you created this thing that doesn't tell you where these conversions are coming from. You have to confirm it because it's not actually booking. And obviously, if you have a system and a solution that solves those problems, then it makes sense. But the industry overall, when it comes to online booking, is just super far behind. And I think people in general have the experience of buying things online, you know, booking online and an appointment is set. Like if you set an appointment or you book a hotel room, for example, you know that you're going to show up, it's going to be booked. And so it's just, nobody has, I think, really solved that problem that I've seen so far, especially the marketing data. It's a marketing tool and nobody has the ability to place tracking tools on there. It's very frustrating. Now I'll move to underrated. Maybe we've already talked about it, but what do you think is underrated? people are sleeping on or haven't looked at? So I would say, I think probably because I'm really into ads, I'd say TikTok ads are probably most underrated. They have tools that are lead forms that are native to TikTok. And so you can get conversions directly on TikTok and 
it's really, really cheap price traffic. Um, it reminds me of how Facebook was back in 2018, 2019. And so I think it's a huge opportunity most practices haven't even thought of yet. Yeah, I love it. How would you think about, and this is probably going to be you talking about longer format answer, so you can take as much or, and divide it how you want, but think about marketing for a de novo startup versus an established clinic. Established clinic saying, hey, our marketing kind of stinks. We need some help. Like we're thinking about doing these things versus I'm brand new. I want to fill up my, my schedule because I need to make some money to pay off this loan that I got. How would you think through that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've had a lot of de novos that have started, especially since the pandemic. It seems like de novo's been popping up like crazy. And I think, so for the most part, everybody's excited to get started and not sure what to do. And so I think as you're building, number one, you need to make sure that you are very frequently updating on the construction process, even if something feels like it's not ready to show yet. I think hiding and waiting until you know we're open, everything's perfect. I think that's definitely a mistake. So really starting to engage with organic content that you're just creating and practicing and talking about all the cool features that you're building and why you're building this and what your goals are and your hopes and your dreams and helping people to really connect with you as a person and a private practice owner. I'd say making a big deal that you're a private practice, obviously for corporates, they probably know what they're going to do already because they have a, a plan for that. But for private practices, you have to really bring people along the journey with you so that they can see what's going on, who you are, what you're about. And I think there are big opportunities for that, like very specifically and tactically is local Facebook groups for community groups and just to start to get active in those groups and post those updates and share that we have this thing coming. People are interested in that and it's a good way to start building awareness. And then I think there's several things that you need to do from the organic side, you know, when it comes to search engine optimization and and things like that. So number one, you need to build out your Google business profiles and make sure that they have your open date correct and stuff. So when you're opening, you can publish those before you're open and start to get indexed things. Um, sorry, get indexing and get on results and stuff. So that's really important. There's a lot of good SEO that you can do in terms of competitive analysis, especially for Google My Business. I think especially primarily Google My Business is far more important than your website SEO, just because I've been also looking at, at website SEO and it is such a small percentage of conversions that come from website. I think the majority of your conversions, regardless of how much you're spending on, on ads and things are going to be coming primarily through your Google My Business listing, which is super strange. But for all of the practices that I've seen, it's overwhelmingly Google My Business driving conversions. So that's very, very important that you get that set up properly. There's a tool called whitespark.ca that I had a, a guy named Darren Shaw on my podcast, and he's an expert in Google My Business. And he's got so many good resources there. His newsletter is amazing. And really cool tools. So get set up with the, the SEO tools to help really establish good local SEO for your Google My Business and get your website built and up and coming soon and update with services and get it indexed as, as quickly as you can so that you're starting to build a presence online. It's very, very important. So then I think from a launch standpoint, what I typically suggest clients do is that typically three to four weeks before we start campaigns on Facebook for either grand opening events or an opening special. But basically, as soon as you can start booking appointments, you start running ads on Facebook and Instagram or TikTok, depending on 
where you're going to be creating content primarily. But with that, you're going to be able to start filling appointments and getting people who are interested. And if you can have some kind of an offer tied to that, that's going to be enticing, that's better. But sometimes, especially in the past, just being open and having availability and accepting new patients has been enough to get people excited to book appointments. But I think for a lot of places in the country that's changed that you'd want to have some kind of a grand opening special to make it super attractive to get new clients to give you a try type of a thing. So that's on Facebook and Instagram. And then once you're getting closer to opening, and that's typically maybe two or three days before opening, you start running ads on Google so that you can start booking appointments. But with Google ads, it's a lot more quick in terms of if somebody's searching for like vet near me or vet open now or vet with no with walk-in appointments or things like that, where people want something right away, you have to be able to fulfill it. Otherwise, it's just wasted traffic. So from the Novo side, you kind of ramp up and bring people along, build the audience as you're going. And then once you're open, really start to spend in terms of Google ads that are going to drive transactional search in the door. So people that want and need what you have and that are actively looking for it. So that's, I think, very, very important. And then you just basically tailor the ads and things to what you're seeing working and, you know, improve and optimize as you go. And so that's the de novo side and it's been pretty successful. Definitely. I think the recent de novos that I've had open, say in the last month or so, they've had a lot more struggle than previously. Like two years ago, if you opened a practice and opened the doors, you just got appointments and that's not the case anymore. So if you're thinking about opening a practice or opening it soon, you definitely need to have a pretty consistent, solid plan in place to make sure that you're not just slow and hoping that the market will fill the gap there. Definitely. But for an established practice, I think it depends on, you have to take a look at your schedule. If your schedule's open and you don't like how many openings that you have, number one is go after the, the current client retention tools like email marketing, text message marketing is really, really effective. Um, and then drive appointments in. But then beyond that, I think for established practices, having some way of driving clients in that they can control is really, really important. So having a paid media funnel, I think most practices should have them just because if you ever do get slow, it's kind of like an insurance policy that you can turn up your ads and scale more or figure out what to do. But the cool thing about ads is that you can target whatever you want to. I mean, if you wanted to target specific surgeries, types of procedures, like people that want same-day appointments, same-day wellness appointments, same-day sick appointments, urgent care appointments, emergency appointments. You can get people searching for mast cell tumor treatments and lymphoma treatments for dogs, and the list goes on as specific as you want to get. And so really choosing who you want to be serving and then how you're going to provide value to them and just show up in front of their search. I think that's a fairly straightforward and easy way to get new clients in the door and kind of control the growth more. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about text message marketing? Because I feel like some people might feel like that's annoying, intrusive, like people are going to hate it. They're going to get mad at me. What have you seen? And can, can you put some context around that? Because I do think that's super interesting because everyone knows these things are like glued to our hands. So you would think that would be a great way to connect. I think that text message marketing is more important than ever too because of all of the changes that are coming to the Google deliverability that's rolling out in April. So Google's updating a lot of spam settings within their Gmail app 
And so it's getting more and more difficult to show up in the non-spam section. And then also, I think with all of the AI tools that are coming out for managing emails and stuff, it's going to be difficult to cut through the noise if you're not providing value and insight on email. And so I would say texting is more attractive because people, I mean, open rates are still above 90% for the most part when you send out text broadcasts, kind of regardless of the industry or as long as people are legitimately giving their their actual phone number, you're going to have a very, very high open rate. And so with that, you have to be careful not to abuse that permission and show up and provide kind of what people are looking for. And so it all depends on how you present and what you're going to be doing, right? So setting up that expectation of here's what this text message list is for. Here's what we're going to be doing with it. And if you'd like to receive these messages, be sure to to opt into it. So totally appropriate if you're telling people, hey, we're sending out offers once a week for special events and openings that we have. If you'd like to receive those, let us know. But it's going to be once a week. And that way they know exactly what they're getting into and they're asking for it. So just being upfront. But if you just have a list of your patients and then you're like, hey, let's export this and start blasting them, you're probably going to have a high opt-out rate just because you didn't ask for permission. You didn't set context for what's going to be going. And the expectation is that they won't be receiving five text messages a week. So you have to make sure that you're landing on the right offer. And if you can do segmentation within your list, I think that's even better. So you make it relevant. And there definitely are people who want to know kind of what's going on with your practice and what cool things you have. Like I'm thinking one of my friends, Dr. Cody Krillman, who's on your podcast too. He has late night hours on Mondays at his Beltline location. He has special events during the week and special days during the week, cat only days and stuff. And so if, if he sends out a broadcast that just is like, hey, we've got all these cool things going on. I think that's a really good context. Here's all the benefits that we're offering you and additional things. But at the same time, it's directly linked to an offer that'll drive more appointments and things like that. But uh, texting is definitely underused. And I know that there's a lot of veterinary medicine specific tools for that. There's also just a lot of general tools that are really effective. Like Twilio is a great one. Twilio is like MailChimp, but for texting, you can set up campaigns and import people. And so it's very effective. I love it. Yeah. I think the part that you talked about of like setting the expectation that you're going to get this stuff and letting them opt in is is huge. Yeah. So, cause I think of like, Hey, it's 2024. You get like these random election or political things. I'm like, how the heck did I get this? This is so annoying right now. I know any sort of veterinary clinic is not going to be as annoying as that, but it could be the similar reaction. So you don't want that. And you want to make sure that people aren't then going to complain about you and or not want to come because your text messages are, are annoying. I like the idea of offer. I was going to ask you like, Hey, what's a good offer? I think the Creelman example is a great one. Some people might be like, well, hey, I'm not like Cody. I don't have all these extra special things. What should I do? You can be creative there and kind of continue to share and or have just things that are going on, right? So I wanted to ask on more kind of just a a broad area to let you kind of just go into anything that was top of mind, but whether it's the paid media funnel idea, whether it's kind of other SEO, social, what haven't I asked about that you feel like really is top of mind for you or something that you'd want to share or go into? So I, I think there's a lot of changes that are coming in from Google, specifically on their search generative experiment that they have right now. And so Google is going to be rolling out 
their own version of AI into search results here in Q2 or Q3 this year. And I think that's going to have a tremendous impact that most practices aren't expecting or even aware of. And especially the Canadian practices, because they don't need, they can't even access like the beta of the SGE. And so if you're in the US, you can go to look for the SGE beta experience. And you can start to see how that looks in your browser, but it's completely changing the search results. It's also changing the ad placements for that, right? where your traditional search placements are not going to be as effective. And so usually when you would search for something and then at the top of the results, you'd be able to place ads. And now it's going to have something that looks a lot more like a chat GPT response. And then the citations are little tiles that are next to it. And people aren't going to be reading those citations because it's giving a summary. And if you look at it, so if you search, for example, like, when should I vaccinate my kitten? It used to pull up an article and you'd have to go through and read it. And now it just says, you know, depending on, it gives you all of the context for it and has links with the in-depth articles that you could go read. But again, nobody's going to be reading those in the future. And so if your practice is using SEO and most practices aren't using it from that perspective, but if you are for informational searches, I think that becomes a lot less valuable. And so people that are doing blogging, trying to get traffic by, you know, essentially answering questions that search engine might ask, I think that that's a lot less effective. And blogging might still be very effective in terms of like feeding your audience and giving them content. So if that's the reason that you're doing is to use a blog post to put on social, educate your clients and, and stuff like that, then that's different. But I would expect that you should not be creating content for the benefit of, of SEO in general. Then there's obviously going to be caveats to that. But I think that that is a really big thing. And with that, their new map pack that they have that's going to be coming out, it's changing. And nobody really knows the criteria yet for this. And so I think if you can, as much as possible, try to test out new ad placements. There's The performance max placement is going to be primarily, I think, the placement that these SGE browser is showing. And it's a, a placement that shows across all of Google's properties. And it's a really cool ad type that I really like, and it's conversion focused. But with that, it's very, very important that you have a good handle on your data. And I think this is probably where most marketing in general, especially with respect to paid marketing is going. You have to give these platforms conversion data so that they can really understand who your client is so that they can go out and find more of those. So the same algorithms that make Instagram and TikTok so interesting because it's showing you content that's relevant to you. The ad platforms use the same, but you have to give them conversion data in order to let them go out and find you more clients. And so advertising and ad buying is becoming more and more just data management where we're really having to focus on getting good conversion data to these platforms so that they can then go out and find the right demographic of people to show your ads to. And I can't understate how important that is because it's just so, so important. And the big companies that are doing marketing well right now are putting tons of effort into tracking every single piece of their funnels. And they know exactly the attribution cost for each channel, you know, lifetime value for each channel. And if, as a small private practice, if you want to try to compete in the future, with these larger companies, you have to get a handle on your data and you have to know how much your clients are worth and how much you're willing to spend to acquire them. 
because all of your competitors that are are big and sophisticated are doing that at scale and they're going to just demolish you because they know how much they can spend. And so they're not hoping or guessing, which I think a lot of practices are right now. For sure. Yeah. That's fascinating to hear about some of those changes and again, things that I'm unaware of, but I think that idea of and again, I don't think in vet med, the blogging piece is probably as impactful. But again, I go back to other businesses or other company types that have used that for a lot of years, right? Like, oh, they'll find us through this and then they'll search and that's all going to go away. It's like you have to kind of evolve and that's the key thing. So love it. As we wind down, I always let guests kind of ask me a question. And I, before we click record, I was like, hey, I don't know if I told you this, but I know you've listened to the show and you had something you wanted to run by me. So I'm all ears on what your question is. Very cool. So I would love to know what you think. I know you're a huge fan of Bitcoin. Obviously, I wish I would have bought more. (laughs) So do you think that Bitcoin, well, I guess, where do you think Bitcoin will end up going in terms of functionality for e-commerce? Do you think that there's ever going to be an application for it to be used as an online currency that's going to take off? Or do you think it's going to be more just of a store of value? Yeah, it's a great question. Great, great question. So again, a lot of my Bitcoin knowledge is not necessarily original Isaiah thought. So I always qualify that, but there's a great book called The Bullish Case for Bitcoin by Vijay Boyapati. He wrote it, I think back in 2018 or 2019, actually for family and friends as a medium post and then turned it into a book. But he talks about all money has to go through kind of collectible. So early on, it was nerds on the internet, super interested in Bitcoin, not really other people. Then it moves into store of value. I think we're firmly in store of value today, especially as the Bitcoin ETFs started last month, where people are going to start looking at Bitcoin as competing with real estate, stocks, bonds, precious metals, small businesses, any of that stuff. Where do we go take the this money that we have and store it for the future that when we want to use it? It has to be a store of value. People have to want it. They have to accrue it before it can go to medium of exchange. Because for me to just say, hey, I think Bitcoin's better money. I want you to use it to pay for my services. Again, I do this at times where I have a, a tool that I use that's called ZapRite. It allows you to put credit card, kind of ACH bank or Bitcoin payments alongside of it. And you can discount Bitcoin. You can do all kinds of stuff. And I do this already just to normalize it. People aren't going to pay me in Bitcoin yet because they don't understand that it's a store of value and that, it's, and that they should be acquiring it first. And so it is, I feel like, a stepwise function where you have to get one before you kind of go to the next one. And eventually it comes to unit of account where we measure our net worth, what's our house worth, all these other things in Bitcoin terms. Now, I am one of those people that probably do that a little sooner than others as far as looking at Bitcoin ramifications and what it looks like in today's world. But yeah, Bitcoin is designed for being kind of the native money of the internet. And I think when I talk about Bitcoin a lot, it is much more today a store of value. Because I just think people need to acquire it. And it's like, it just gets too much into the weeds to talk about, well, what about lightning payments? Which lightning payments is basically a layer two. I'm not going to get into all the nuance and details, but it allows you to make those quick payments where kind of this base chain Bitcoin store value, it's going to be a little slower. So when you think about online commerce, if I want to buy something, it makes a ton of sense to accept Bitcoin because A, I don't have to pay merchant fees. It's instant settlement. And it's something where I can, it's purely mobile if you, you want it to be as well. So Lightning works really, really well for that. And then there's also kind of eCash and there's lots of other things that are being created around that to allow for more ease of use for people to tap in, but always go back and settle on the Bitcoin main chain. So yes, I think Bitcoin becomes 
kind of the de facto settlement currency. And I think even going back into AI, there's been a couple of different really good podcasts in the Bitcoin world of talking about how you build these machine learning algorithms and they're all going to compete to do these certain things. And the bidding can all be done and can be settled with lightning transactions because they're going to be able to, to instantly settle and send those funds. And again, I'm not going to act like I know how all of it's going to be structured because that is a little bit mind melding sometimes even for me to think about. But there's some really good podcasts on the topic that I've shared with folks where I'm like, AI and Bitcoin actually are meeting and it's a really good thing because if you have a world where we just keep creating more money, it's going to accrue to kind of the upper echelons and like this AI, whoever controls those algorithms are just going to like take all the money. Well, if it's a scarce asset, there's only so much, right? It does kind of balance that power a little bit out better. So it's important as AI develops and there's no stopping it, right? The horse is less left the stable. You can't put it back. The genie is out. You can't put it back in the bottle. I think Bitcoin is going to be really, really important for that. So yes, I think Bitcoin becomes the global reserve currency. I think it becomes de facto money for everyone across the world. When that happens, that timing question, I'm never going to be able to answer with any sort of uh, time frame. It's going to take more time than what I want it to, but it's going to be a lot shorter than what a lot of people think. But you can do a lot of that stuff today. There are more businesses today that will accept Bitcoin payments than what you think. Maybe it's just me looking for those folks and knowing who those are, but it is coming. And I think over the next part of this decade, we'll see it uh, proliferate more and more. So yeah, today... It's definitely store value. I will give you that. But any questions on that or any areas you want me to go into more detail? I think that's super interesting. I think this next round of major players buying it is going to be really interesting. And then it'll be just interesting to see where it goes. But um, I think that all makes sense. And it'll be cool to see how that's adopted and used in things. Definitely. Yeah. I think incentives drive the world. So I think if the incentive is I can pay someone directly, they can lower their cost. It just makes sense that, to adapt that. And I do think it is a major improvement, but I'm always biased and I always qualify that, that there's reasons why. So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, the last question that I have for you, which is something that everybody asks me and I'm not qualified to say, but people say all the time, it's without hesitation, they say, what? how much should I have for a budget for my veterinary practice for ads? And they usually want me to give them a percentage of revenue. Do you have a formula for that or any good advice? I always say, how much you got? I'm just kidding. <laughs> when I say, yeah, I'm like, well, whatever you think it is, double it. No, um, I would say it's going to be a lot higher, especially going back to like kind of that de novo versus established. I think an established clinic should be doing at least 5%. And whether it's going back to some of the things that you talked about where it is retention marketing or some of these other things of just saying, hey, we're busy, but we're going to continue to just feed into this. That way we can just continue to reinvest. I also think marketing for an established clinic can also be one of those things to recruit talent to you. And I've seen that be super successful, right? Really hard to get good people. I can't get associates. Well, hey, maybe you can use those marketing funds to be building out content as to why folks in the space should come and work for you. And that, as wild as that sounds, it works. I have plenty of examples of that in and outside of VetMed as well. But as a de novo startup, it's probably closer to 10 at least. And you probably aren't going to be cash flow positive, but you need to start thinking like, I'm going to spend a good amount on this. And it's going to be more or less like, okay, what are the goals, right? Let's break it down. What's the runway that you have? Are you married? Do you have another source of income? Can you keep dumping this back in? Because if you are able to your point to track the data and know what if I spend $1,000, what kind of flows out on the other side, it's not perfect. But if you can have good data and you're working with someone that gets it, and I will be the first one to tell someone that is a veterinarian. 
I'm not the foremost marketing guru, but they're really great people that can help you and give you good insights on that to make sure that, hey, if I'm spending this, I should expect to be getting something else back. There is going to be that that law of diminishing returns where you can't just put way more and it's like going to give you enough back. But I think it's at least 5%. I will tell you what I typically see is like 1% to 2% though. So a de novo needs to spend a lot more. And sometimes it's like you can either spend more time because on the front end, you're not going to be as busy, more time building out the content, learning how to do this stuff and just spending the time. And then later on, it's probably going to be just more money because your time is going to be much more limited. So it's one of the two. But yeah, I would say 5% is a good rule. If you're slow, you should be spending more. And as a de novo, if you have the ability where you have a, a bigger cash cushion, the quicker you can spend and get up to speed, the better you're going to be long term. So the loan payment, and all the other stuff kicks in and maybe it's interest only for six months. It's like, how can I spend more on the forefront to get those people in the door? And it's not overnight. You can't be like, hey, well, I spent money and next week I didn't get more business. No, these things take time. And to really evaluate, maybe this is a question back to you. How do you evaluate if something's working or not? Do you have a time frame for that typically that you would encourage someone? All I would tell them is you need to be a little bit more patient, but you live in instant gratification world. What's a good time frame to judge? Like, is this thing working? So depends on how much you're spending. Obviously, the more you're spending, the quicker you get re- your data and things. But if you're working with somebody who knows what they're doing, it's not like we're guessing and we'll say, well, how how could we get you know general clients in the door? Let's test a whole bunch, like run ads for hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of practices, like thousands now, I'm trying to think how many total, probably probably over 1,200 practices or so. And so um, pulling from, from all of that data, I know, again, depending on the market that you're in, if you're in a more competitive market or you're in a rural market that's less competitive, I mean, there's just so many nuances to that. It depends mostly on the market. It's going to determine how much your cost per acquisition for new client is. But I think generally right now, most practices could be acquiring clients on Google for between 25 and 45 bucks on the front end without any discount offers. Um, And so you kind of have to figure out how many clients you need per day and multiply that by that number. And obviously the better the offer that you're going to do, which means you're probably collecting less revenue on the front end, the cheaper your acquisition is going to be. So if you're doing a free first visit, probably going to have a better conversion rate, which probably not going to you know, have as much revenue on the front end. And so it depends on on those types of factors, but you should be able to see very quickly if you're running paid ads, an increase in lift in calls and appointments. And because um, it's like a faucet that you can turn on and off with SEO and some of these organic strategies, it takes longer because you're, you're waiting on Google to index. And um, if you're doing awareness type marketing, it takes longer because you have to, you know, basically stay in front of people until they're ready. And so it just depends on the strategy and, you know, the placement and things. But with with most things, you can turn ads on pretty quick and, and get them really going quickly. I love it. Brandon, I want to give a handoff for folks because this has been a, a really fascinating discussion. Obviously, if you like this kind of stuff, check out his podcast, plug the podcast, where do people reach out to you if they want to chat more, any of that stuff as a, as a handoff as we uh, close. If you're interested in marketing, I have the Veterinary Marketing Podcast. It's super niche, as you mentioned, and a very non-original title, but it's just about marketing for veterinary practices. And so I do podcasts about once a week, sometimes two episodes a week. And then probably the best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. I'm most active there. So if you search for Brandon Brashears on LinkedIn, or you can just go to the Veterinary Marketing Podcast. It's veterinarymarketingpodcast.com. It's not the, it doesn't have the in front. So just veterinarymarketingpodcast.com. You can check out all the socials and stuff. There's 
a Facebook group that you can join um, and a ton of resources and things over there. So veterinarymarketingpodcast.com or LinkedIn, shoot me a message and say hi. Always happy to talk. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really yeah, appreciate great. it. I learned a lot through this, so I appreciate it. And that's a really fun conversation. So glad we were able to make this happen. And yeah, this would be great to hear the feedback. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment tax or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. However, you are intelligent enough to make decisions for yourself. So I do encourage you to dig in, learn for yourself, and not just outsource every decision that you make. You should talk to your professional team if you have one before implementing anything that I talk about, but also make sure they know what they're talking about. Push them, question them. That's healthy. That's okay. Oh yeah. And you should probably own and learn a little bit about that Bitcoin thing. The biggest compliment you can give to me is to share the show with a friend or the podcast if there's another episode that you really like. That helps folks find it. That helps it grow. Um, reviews are critical. The Apple Podcast is the platform that's predominantly used for how people find the show. So if you have three minutes, love the show, please head over, give us five stars if you believe that's what we earned. That would help more people find the show. Also, if you're new, go to YouTube. It's a channel. Uh, putting up all the videos there as well. Sometimes it's going to be more interactive. Other times it's just going to be the conversation. So vainly, I want to get 100 subscribers so I get the vanity URL. That's the goal. We're on our way, but not quite there yet. For all of today's links information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss any episodes in the future. And finally, if you'd like more information, insights, or have the ability to, for your voice to be heard, join the Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinarian Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom, about your host, click on the Facebook icon. And thanks again for listening. I appreciate you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends. Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos? Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there. So no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. So type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital. 
personable small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five doctor mixed animal practice in Northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, 24-hour ER, less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95000 Can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out. Let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon.